Hi, everyone. Welcome to Path to Glory, a Warhammer Underworlds podcast that focuses on competitive gaming, player development, and community growth. Amon here, continuing our Warband Wisdom series, where Jonathan and I are taking turns covering each Warband with a special guest. So today we'll be focusing on Spike Claw Swarm. We didn't have to look very far, and for this ap- episode, we've got three-time Grand Clash winner, writer behind Kenny Roller Crit, and now a host of his own brand new podcast series announced today, John Reese. John, how are you doing? Hey, I'm not too bad. How are you doing, Amon? I'm doing okay. How is everything in the UK? Staying safe, I hope? Uh, well, I'm technically staying safe. Still crazy. Getting used to... It was really refreshing having no tournaments, but also really annoying having no tournaments. So it's just uh, getting around that, really, because I'm not really playing much, technically. Yeah, I I completely agree. I, I really miss going to events, um, but... You know, we, I understand as non-essential as gaming is, despite it being so essential to us, <laughs> um, it makes sense, I suppose. So. Yeah. Well, I'm glad we could have you on today. Oh, no, uh, thanks so, for having me on. Absolutely. We want these episodes to be as evergreen as possible, but as a point of reference, this episode was recorded on May 13th, 2020. So, you know, we've had you briefly on the... Actually, you were on a full episode before. Um, yes, it was the um, which one was it? I think it was the just before you went to Gen Con. I think so. I, I, it was it was either you won an event or you were yeah, you had I, done really well in an event. I, I wasn't just sure. won um, the Scottish Grand Clash, so that was my third Grand Clash win. Was it the uh, oh the hug the hugging thorns? Oh yes, yeah, my swarming spirits thorns. Yeah, swarming spirits. Yeah, very cool, very cool. So. Obviously, we're no stranger to you, and if you read John's blog, Can You Roll a Crit, then you probably aren't a stranger to his accolades and his history in gaming. But for those of you who aren't familiar, um, we're going to go into some of these deeper introduction questions before we jump into Spyloss Swarm. So, John, um, how long have you been involved with wargaming? Uh, wargaming in general, I think, since I was 11 or 12. So I'd say 12, because that's easier. So that'd be about 17 years now. Mm-hmm. Um, and I've been playing Warhammer Underworld since the launch of Shadespire. Uh, and like I always tell everyone, because I find it funny, originally I thought Shadespire was terrible. I just didn't see the appeal because I was like, I don't like X-Wing originally. And then I was just like, this doesn't make sense. And then my friends got me into it and then they all dropped out, but then I got more into it. And then it just mm-hmm. kind of developed from there. So, uh, But before I, yeah, long time player of 40K and Age of Sigmar, was considering, like, I used to play them so, like, I've got several armies, and I thought about going competitive into 40k and Sigma, but then I just realized that's not really actually quite viable. It's, it's like the time sink and the money involved is just uh, not always worth it. Yeah, I think that's fair. Um, that's one of my favorite aspects about Underworlds is it's a low barrier to entry in terms of cost and there's a lot of varied factions you can play, so I like to hop around factions. Yeah. Um, that's why I've never been able to fully commit to 40k or Age of Sigmar. Or I did to Warhammer though, Fantasy. My Dark Elves were, ah, nice. were a lot of fun, but uh, fantasy, I, I get I you there. Issue. No, but yeah, it's like because the um, the issue is, especially if you're trying to play competitively, the issue I found is sometimes rules and models change quite quickly, so you'll find. <clears throat> something you intended to build and paint because you haven't got around to finishing it or the tournament just got updated the units you were taking are no longer valid for that f- format or you you're trying to get ready for a tournament or an event but then you don't get the stuff you wanted painted at time so you end up running like uh unoptimized things compared to underworlds where it's really just 
it's more finite and you have more control and more freedom. Right. I would agree. I think those are some, some awesome strengths. Um, so I guess speaking about the freedom and some of the aspects of Underworlds, what are aspects of the game that you enjoy the most? Uh, well, it's just the small nature of it. So the the issue I have with like 40k and Sigma is because you've got so many points and units, it's really difficult to have like a competitive range because like with 40k, I've always said, if you wanted it to be properly competitive, you would have to reduce the pool of uh, models that people could take. So they could only select a few things from each codex to keep everything fair because a lot of armies get outclassed by what they can and can't select. Mm-hmm. Um, and the thing about Underworlds, the only thing you have actual control over is your deck and how you play the Warband. You're always given a set amount of fighters, so you don't have like uh, Garrick's Reavers, but you could add or remove fighters. You're always given that set number to build, like that's your basis that everyone has access to, and that's never going to change. But you still have the flexibility around how you play and how you build your decks to really represent how you play yourself on the tabletop and how to use them in your own way. Yeah, I think that's one of my favorite parts as well is I find, especially in competitive games, the more restrictions upon the player, the more the more fun it is figuring out how to make things work and, and compete and do well consistently. Yeah, because I think with Underworlds, people are more open to those kind of restrictions and changes. Because if, if you tried to implement that to 40k or Sigma, people would get, uh, well, they wouldn't be for it, really. Because you, you could understand, like, another big thing is the cost. Underworlds is really cheap uh, for a Games Workshop game, and even in general, to get into and play. Uh, considering, like, a general season costs about £160 if you're buying direct from GW. And armies usually go for about £400 to £500 now. Um mm-hmm. So, and like armies are usually built over six months, but in a year you're spending less than like a third, two thirds of that. Um, And it's just really easy to pick up and play. Like once you get the timings down, you can play games in like 20, 15 minutes. But Mm -hmm. um, like in the space of a normal tabletop game that takes two or three hours, I could get six to eight games of Underworlds in. So it's really efficient for time, for your own time, money, and as well as like just transporting to play around. Agreed. Agreed. Um, what are some special achievements you're currently proud of in the world of Warhammer Underworlds? I know we mentioned some of your uh, accolades, but I mean, what are some of that are most precious to you? Uh, I think uh, so. It's it's a difficult one. I think it's either winning the Scottish Grand Clash a second time because uh, the Sp- Scottish Grand Clash is my favorite um, event that I've ever been to, just because it's out in Scotland, so I don't usually travel that far. And everyone's just really fun. And it's just such a good experience. Um, I've just had such a good time and helping seeing that event grow. Uh, but also um, winning with all the Shades by Night Vault Warbands. Because it basically turned into the end a freeway race between me, you, and Jay Claire. Mm-hmm. Um, and like I was worried for a bit that when I was just stuck on the Godswan hunt that I would never, never finish them. And I was so relieved uh, when I finished that um because the biggest thing, turning point for me, I think, was when I won with Eyes of the Nine, completely mm-hmm. by accident, going into that tournament. Like, I'll just have fun. And then the Eyes of the Nine just beat everyone consistently, because uh, I did a lot of practice for hold objective play that time. Uh, but it's either those two, just because um, winning the Scottish Grand Clash again was a really important event to me. And it was my third Grand Clash, and I'm being the only person so far to win two events uh, like consecutively, as in like yes. I won it a year ago and then won it, defended my title. Yeah. Um, and then winning with all 16 warbands just because it forced me 
to play outside of my comfort zone and adapt because usually I just stick with one more band uh, which we'll get to today uh, and I just stick with one more band and go with that um, so I had to play around learning different play styles and put in more effort into playing war bands I normally wouldn't touch right but it's made you a better player of course yeah uh, like I would say um, the most I learned from was probably Eyes of the Nine and actually God's One Hunt because Eyes built up my whole objective play so I actually knew what I was doing more and just understand it, understood it better and Godsworn Hunt helped me make a more efficient but risky aggro deck because I was running two end, third end phase objectives, mm-hmm. where actually worked surprisingly well because I churned through so many score immediately. And you kind of had to make sure everyone was a threat while still being making sure you didn't uh, gank up with one character. Yeah. No, it's it was a great experience for me. I, I I know you ended up winning that race you alluded to earlier, but uh, I got stuck on the Godsworn. I went to three local events, made it to top table, and then either dice or my own errors uh, led me to never claim the title with them. So it's actually they're the they're the warband I've taken to most store events. Period. Wow. <laughs> Surprisingly. Well, yeah, it's but, like I think Godsworn were the same for me. It's the issue is um, you had to really play on point with them. You had to make no mistakes and just hope dice went your way. Mm-hmm. So that was the most frustrating thing because I think some guy beat me. One of my friends beat me um, 23-18, and I had scored all my objectives, and he'd still beaten me. And I was just like, I've I've done nothing wrong. You've just you've just beaten me. Uh, but I right. scored all my objectives with the Godsworn. Wow. Um, so that's when I learned you had to. Like with aggro, you sometimes do have to build unreliable but risky decks. But if they do work, then you should win. It's just you have to accept, unfortunately, sometimes the dice won't always go your way. Yeah. Hard lessons and and constant reminder always with the dice. Um, Yeah, it's like I found the more dice you threw at them, the less accurate they got, which was just beyond frustrating. It's like... I just stopped giving upgrades once they had Hero Slayer and just let them do it. And I would be, I was surprised how accurate Hero Slayer was once I stopped giving it like Potion of Rage and like um, multiple dice mods. But it was just one dice. It was just super accurate. Yeah, that's actually really funny. And I'll, and I'll catch up with you about that story that I want to share uh, after the call, interest of time. Yeah. Um, yeah. But moving on, uh, my last question as part of the the introduction questions is: Is there anything that you're working on right now, game wise or hobby wise? Uh, and, and if so, would you like to share? Yeah, it's just uh, the moment. So I've painted all the Beast Grave Warbands that are currently available, and I've painted all the Dreadfane ones. I'm just finishing off Iron Souls Condemners. And mm-hmm. then once I've finished those, I would have painted all the Beast Grave and Dreadfane Warbands. Because at the moment, I'm trying to. Uh, I didn't think I'd do it, but I'm trying to. Well, I was trying to win with all the Beast Grave Warbands and Dreadfane ones, but this time I wanted to do it fully painted. Um, because J. Claire also one with all 16 more burns but he did them with all fully painted by himself so like my friends have usually like taken the mick out of me for that and i was like to be fair it does make sense it's like for the ultimate challenge i really should push myself so it's forced me into weird things where i've taken the wrong warband that i haven't practiced with just because it was painted or the woman i wanted to take wasn't painted yet um and it's just really enjoying uh, but once i get that out of the way I'll be eagerly awaiting the last two warbands, and then I can start. In the meantime, then I can start painting my Bone Reaper army while I wait for, uh, once I finish the Condemners, and wait for Morgok's Crushes and Morgrave's uh, Blade Coven to arrive. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, I think the painting aspect's really cool because of quarantine. I've been dabbling in it more myself, so mm. I'm I'm someone who is uh, 
likes to get my work commissioned, but as I've been revisiting the hobby side of things, I have wondered uh, if I should just knock out some of the warbands I have left myself. So, uh, oh, we'll that's see. great to hear. Yeah, no, it's just like it's really difficult because uh, I find I t- I used to be really fast at painting, but now I just take forever. So I found with Underwoods, I've taken longer and longer. So even though it's free fighters, it's taking me far too long to do. Right. Well, that's they're, they're packed with detail. So. It's... Yes, unfortunately they are. Yeah. Well, or fortunately, rather. <laughs> yeah, I mean, yeah, it's just. I think um, one downside, it's like a minor one, is like sometimes, not all the time, the miniatures have a bit too much detail. Like I got burnt out painting my originals each army just because uh, Zangors have too much detail. Um, right. They, they look great, but then you, you realized you missed a skull, a bird skull or a gem or a feather. Um, so it just took a bit longer. So I still like, like the models look amazing. They just take a lot longer to paint than I realized at first. Mm-hmm. Well, I guess some would say that's part of the challenge. So. Oh, yeah, indeed. Looking forward to seeing what you come up with, uh, especially those condemners you're working on right now. Um, but yeah. moving on to, I guess, the meat of the episode and, and something that's near and dear to your heart, a uh, warband at least, Spike Claw Swarm. Yes, so, my favorite warband ever. Yes, yes. So tell me about this warband. How does it work and what are the fighters like? So uh, Scritch's Spike, uh, Spike Claw Swarm is a five model warband of the Skaven, uh, they are a chaos army of basically rat men. So they're led by Scritch Spikeclaw, who is a leader. He's a claw lord, so he's a Skaven leader. Uh, he's got four wounds, one dodge, uh, two damage with a range two attack, which is crucial, and he's always movement five. Um, so universally-wise, they have the same inspire mechanic, which is when they're chosen by a ploy. So the ploy has to say, uh, choose a fighter, and it has to be a ploy. Um, they inspire, and when he inspires, he goes to free damage. Uh, he does cleave when he rolls a crit, and he goes to two dodge. So all of a sudden, he goes from like a very uh, middle-of-the-road hero, he sits back, to an even tougher hero to kill that can become this crazy missile. Uh, and his special action is, if any of your free clan rats are of action, he can return them to the battlefield on any starting hex. So while he's alive, you can actually happily let your clan rats die, and then as long as he's alive, you can keep bringing them back on whatever hex you choose. Mm-hmm. Uh, next, you have Crick. Um, well, Crook. So he is like uh, Scritch's second in command. So he's a free wound fighter, two smash, two damage, one block. Uh, they're all movement five. And then when he inspires, he goes to two block. So the important thing about him is he's free wounds, two damage. So he's your most reliable fighter outside of Scritch. Um, and he's got two block. Uh, but the issue is he does nothing really else. He has cards that help him support Scritch, but he's just kind of your backup fighter or your pokey fighter who's just more survivable. Then for your clan rats, you have the Festering Skaven, who's two fury, one damage. And when he inspires, he goes to free fury, one damage, two dodge. Um, he has no effects. He's just a clan rat that can be resurrected. Then you have the Hungering Skaven, who is one smash, one damage. <clears throat> when he inspires, he goes to two smash, one damage. Uh, and as the same, no effects. And then you have Lurking Skaven, who I would say is the most important clan rat uninspired, because he just starts off two fury, one damage, but two dodge. So from the outset, you actually don't need to inspire him, because when he inspires, he only goes to free fury. Um, so I generally use him as the fighter you put 
because they're they're a five fighter warband. The way I look at warbands is four and three are probably your ideal number because they're the ones you can hide the most away from your opponent without generally being at risk of being charged. Mm -hmm. With five fighters, you usually have that fifth fighter somewhere your opponent can easily get to. Um, And for that purpose, I always use the Lurking Skaven because he's only two, he's two dodge. So if you wanted to inspire everyone, you only need to inspire the four Skaven, other four Skaven clan rats, and you can leave him alone because if you just need him to stay alive, he does his purpose because he's already two dodge. Right. Okay. So pretty comprehensive uh, summaries there. Um, So moving forward then, which of the fighters is your favorite and why? (laughs) It might be a surprise to some, but uh, it's Scritch because he basically makes the warband work. Um, so the big thing about him, he's movement five with a range two. So he has a threat range of seven. So once he's basically near the middle of the board, he has range to attack anyone. Uh, unless like there are block Texas, he generally can just hit, target anyone. <clears throat> so during Shadespire, that was like massively huge because you'd inspire him and he'd go to free damage. And because there was so much damage during Shadespire, he could just rocket through people. Um, like a funny thing I like to mention is uh, when Games Workshop actually developed the uh, Spike Claw Swarm, they never intended Scritch to be that aggressive. Because um, I remember watching the streams of Warhammer TV and they were just amazed and confused at how I was playing them so aggro. Uh, and I know I wasn't the first two, but I think I was the one one of the few people to make them successfully popular as an aggro build, um, just because Scritch is so powerful, especially with certain upgrades. He can start attacking multiple people once he gets near to, near to them without moving. And he can just slide across the board doing four damage, five damage, and just one-shotting people. Because, um, yeah, he gets two dodge. He inspires anytime you want. So your opponent can't really prepare for it. When your opponent's against you, they just have to go, okay, anytime I get near him, he's basically just going to inspire. Mm-hmm. Um, and with that free damage, and, yeah, if you're on a crit, it does cleave which doesn't really do much, but it actually helps when you're fighting against Stormcast or anyone with two defense. Um, but it's just his threat range is so crazy and his free damage. Because in Shadespire, you have great strength and incredible strength. So yes. you have two ways to get him to damage four or damage five. And he has an upgrade, which is sneaky stab stab. So he can push himself before he makes an attack action. So once he's in range, he just basically slides around the board attacking people and can slide into objectives. So your opponent would have to engage you otherwise they can't get on the objectives they want or think that you want. Uh, he's just like this massive force multipl- multiplier to the point where once you start stacking enough upgrades on him, he can solo warbands and it forces your opponent to completely ignore everyone else and focus on Scritch. Um, and plus, yeah, it, he can also bring back Dead Skaven onto any starting X. So all of a sudden you like throw away a clan rat and then near the end of a turn, you can bring them back onto your opponent's side to stop them scoring denial or get objectives you actually couldn't get because you you were out of range. So it's just versatility and potential is just off the charts, really. Right. That sounds like a lot of good reasons as to why he's your favorite. Yes. (laughs) Yeah. Good, good. Okay. So speaking of, I guess, why the Warband is so good, what do you think this Warband's ranks are? Uh, it's mainly it's mobility and innate defense. So the things you're looking for in Underworlds, especially back in Shadespire, was the ability to threat range. So they're all movement five from the start, and we're generally one attack hex range. Then threat range of six. So your opponent actually has to be uh, effectively six hexes apart from you, but you can only need to be five hexes apart. Uh, and with Scritch, with his threat range of seven, it's almost impossible to hide from him. 
Uh, and I found early on in Shadespire, people just couldn't deal with that threat range because they were like, I'm used to just sitting back and Skaven not really being able to do much to me. Now all my fighters are at risk of dying and I don't know who to save because you could go for anyone. Right. Um, and then also their ability to all have two defense um, because you don't really care about one dodge, but when you're rolling two dice, it just literally increases that chance for you to roll a crit. And I would like the amount of times I've rolled a crit on two dice is insane just because you don't care. Even if they had no dodge and they were just crits, having two is just that doubt in your opponent's mind to the point where people would start going for clan rats or even scritch once you had free defense with like acrobatic. They would charge in trying to put like seven dice just to make sure one clan rat or one skaven would die um, because you have to invest more than you usually would. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think those and yeah the mobility and the defense they're surprising defense because they're not really durable but when the game devolved into like a one hit meta when everyone was generally doing four or five damage a hit that's when Skaven really shone because they had the most defense in the game right do you think those same concepts apply in the current iteration of the game and could be moved forward in uh, future versions of the game to an extent, yeah, because I think the Shades, uh, the uh, Spike Wars Swarm are generally such a strong warband. The only issue is when the game shifts away to more, um, like, less focus on four damage and more focus on doing two or three damage, that's when they start to suffer because the warband really does fall apart if you just um, can't do four damage yourself, but all of a sudden people are pumping out tons of reliable two or three damage attacks because then that's when it's getting through... Uh, your own fighters because most fighters are only pumping like two dice attacks but if you like if everyone's got like three dice two damage like what you can kind of see with beast grave and some of the uh weapons at the moment it's actually quite tough to keep your clan rats alive mm-hmm. um because it's fine like when two smash ma- uh, cancels out two dodge because it, even though it's not favorable for the, the defensive player with two dodge it's still a better chance than three smash against two dodge um so at the moment it's weird they're still really good like, but now they have to be wary of builds. Like, uh, they always hated the fast riders before, but now they hate magic, especially curse breakers. Um, and any warband that can match their speed, which is actually quite a lot of beast grave warbands in an, in a sense, because they have a lot of range and movement uh, and their offensive output. So it's like Garrick's Reavers used to be a really tough matchup, uh, but Grashrax to spoilers can kind of be, but more so like the Wild Hunt are really tough for them, just because. They're not too concerned about killing Scritch, but you can have Scaife just murder the entire warband leaving Scritch on his own really early. Um, and yeah, I think, yeah, even the uh, Lady Howard's Mournflight can also give them a lot of a run for the money because they have better objectives, but also because they also inspire quite easily and become just as tough as they are. Right. Okay. That makes a lot of sense. And, and I, I know that you touched a little bit on some of the, the weaknesses that could be exploited through uh, or, or from Spiteless Squarm. So I suppose let's jump into the next question. What do you think the Warband's main weaknesses are? Um, so their main weaknesses, once you kill Scritch, they kind of lose all their punch. You could get around that in Shadespire because you had Shade Glass, Hammer, and Dagger, which were free damage base. And if you rolled a crit, they did four damage because uh, they did plus one damage on a crit. Mm-hmm. Um, and Shade Glass, Hammer was two smash, but Shade Glass, Dagger was free fury. So they were just, all of a sudden, you could make anyone a threat. And there was trap and twist the knife everywhere. But nowadays, because it's more difficult to get to that, Scritch is now your only real reliable source of doing four damage. So once he dies, 
uh, like it's a common thing for curse breakers just to kite him and then because you've lost hero slayer as well so then once scritch dies it is almost game over because um, you lose the ability to always challenge your opponent by resurrecting fighters in their deployment uh, and also weakness now is yeah just the lack of offensive output because yeah you, you've lost most of your damaging weapons you've got fated blade and larval lance the issue with fated blade can do five damage but can also do zero and then larval lance only really gets going in the third round when it goes to free smash free smash and free damage but if you need like generally with the spike claw swarm you need damage around round two uh, even round one and at that point larval lance isn't exactly great for them just because of that slow ramp up generally skaven want to take the lead early and then maintain it they can come back but it's more difficult to do it in the beast grave uh, setting at the moment so right. i'd say the... go ahead oh no so i think at the moment they've become less aggro focused and more hold objective focused just because it's something they can play e- easily and something they're designed to do naturally well because just of the hit of aggro in general mm-hmm. do you think the objective uh, strengths are because of the way Beast Grave works, or is it just something that's always been a solid backup plan for the Warband? Well, it's just um, because Hold Objective is more viable in general. They have the movement to get anywhere, so they're less card reliant. So right. if you've built a, a deck, uh, well, if you built a Warband and your goal is can be easily achieved by the Warband without needing cards, then they just become even better. Because the main problem is people will space out objectives, but you can't really hide from the, the Spike Claw Swarm. Um, so they can generally control all objectives quite easily. Staying alive is another thing, but the important thing is from the get-go, they can just naturally go where they want to. Makes a lot of sense. Okay. Um, so you, you mentioned weapons earlier, um, you know, the shades, shade glass weapons from um, Shadespire, RIP. Um, <laughs> what, <laughs> what about uh, the Nullstone Spear? I know that's a popular one, and, and the Amberbone weapons are looking good, and we haven't seen an Amberborn Amberbone sword yet if it is to come do you think those might help the warband kind of the issue is that amberbone weapons are capped at two damage nullstone spear is really good um but the issue at the moment is if you're kind of teching into aggro there's not enough universal cards for them to access because what made them so good in shade spire when doing aggro because they actually have very limited aggro objectives so they just relied on the shade spire ones so with all those gone, there's not many they can fully build off because uh, like, it was quite easy for them to do precise use of force or advancing strike, whereas like kill an opponent doing the exact amount of damage or killing an opponent in their own territory, uh, in enemy territory. Now you kind of have to build into Hunter and Quarry, which is a lot of effort considering how fragile they are. Um, and it's like the issue is because of... Um, there are like the Grimwatch and uh, Grashrax the Spoilers. So you've got a little bit more two-wound fighters. Most fighters are three wounds. So you are actually looking at the moment to do free damage. And the problem is if they tech into aggro, they have to tech in too much to the point where they can't really do hold objectives anymore. So it's just more efficient doing the hold objective kind of play. Right. I think that makes a lot of sense. Okay, cool. Well, let's move on to the next question then. Um, you know, we've kind of hopped back and forth around what strategies and playstyles are kind of more viable, you know, in the past and in the current iteration. Um, but aside from, you know, aggro or hold objectives, are there any alternate strategies or ways to play them at the moment, whether it's tomes or perhaps something else? So at the moment, like, 
they were they used to be the best flex wall band but flex is really difficult to do now which is a combination of two or more different play styles and they used to do aggro really well but because most of the aggro cards have been cycled out they can't do it as well anymore just because you could get kit them out to do aggro but they just don't have the damage or well they don't have the objectives to build off of it without uh teching into um, hunter and quarry so at the moment you could kind of do them control i've seen um builds where you do uh what do you call it crown of avarice and expendable on two different clan rats so if they try and kill them they either get no glory you get a glory mm-hmm. um the issue is crown of avarice is more balanced now so it's easy to play around and those kind of defensive builds don't have much way to challenge the opponent because they can go i can just choose not to kill them because especially if you're not playing hold objectives or just running in because you had a nice build uh, but yeah it's a pretty good build at the end of night vault where yeah you had crown of avarice and you put uh, expendable on another skaven so they would you put the cl- weapons on all the clan rats and they charge for and just start attacking everyone because then if your opponent killed them you got the glory or they got no glory so they got very little return on that while you were still making a lot of threats mm-hmm. um but i think they struggle at the moment just because uh, with the shade spire warbands in general they depend on the universal cards a lot so when they don't have access to great universal cards they suffer so mm-hmm. that's why i think at the moment they're only really viable as a hold objective warband that does a bit of aggro that makes sense and i think that's how jonathan found recent success with them uh, in an online event so oh, nice. that's uh that's bang on good stuff there so what are their top five faction specific cards uh, this could be objectives upgrades uh, or a combination of them really uh, well, the best one is uh, Scritch is the greatest. Yes, yes, because he is. Uh, but it's just actually a really <laughs> good card because um, it scores immediately for one glory after Scritch, Scritch kills someone. So when we were looking in Shadespire, an important thing when you're building aggro is to see who had the best aggro surges. And a good thing you were always looking for is if your leader got a glory for immediately killing someone because Magor's Fiends did it and even um, Spockle Guard. So it was like, if you had those kind of cards to bounce into, they were enough to rely on. And it's just, because uh, he can kill quite reliably be, by basically going to free damage all the time. He's actually really good for you to farm easy glory off of. Um, next you have Arm's Length, which is basically another scritch objective where you kill an enemy fighter while they are not adjacent to any of your fighters. Um so a good thing is like you attack someone who like the trickers and chase by you attack someone who was adjacent to one of your fighters and then drive them back and kill them with trap and that would trigger that um you, you had shade last darts to score it as well because uh, it was range free and it could do two damage on a crit mm-hmm. but now that's more restrictive but it's still good if you're running scritch uh expendable is a really good upgrade it's very confusing but really good because basically before your opponent deals damage, you can choose just to remove the equipped clan rat because it can only be equipped to clan rats. And your opponent's fighter takes one damage and then you remove your fighter from play. So your opponent doesn't get the glory from the kill, doesn't score anything from the kill because it just cancels there and they take one damage. Mm-hmm. Um, so can it, call, it can cause a lot of interesting scenarios where your opponent actually needs that glory. But because it completely bypasses the attack, uh, you're now in the scenario where, okay, you might now not be able to score supremacy but you've stopped your opponent scoring their entire hand because they've been trying to fish for this kill. But they're in a scenario where if they don't kill the Skaven, you're going to get free or more glory. Um, But if they do, at least it's out of the way. So it's a really tough card for your opponent. Um, Then you have Musk of Fear, 
which is choose a friendly fighter and put them on guard. So guard is amazing now. It was already really good before. Um, but you go on guard, and because it's a choose ploy, you inspire, because the greatest strength about um, the Skaven is all Gambit card, all Gambit ploys that say choose a fighter effectively double as two effects. So you've got, you had Inspiration Strikes, which was inspire a fighter, um, but that only does one thing. If you have Sidestep for Skaven, that's inspire a fighter, but also push yourself one hex, um, and just having that great ability to go on guard because um, it generally synergizes with objectives like you had change attacks in shade spire but in beast grave you've got um an objective where if they attack you while you've got a guard token and if it fails you get a glory and generally going on guard is really good because you can't be driven back so they have to be pushed and if your opponent pushes you with distraction or nightmare in the shadows then they inspire you so it's kind of like yeah you have to do something otherwise you're in this your opponent just gets into really bad uh positions and then for their fifth card it's really difficult. I would say in Shadespire, it was Hone Survival Instincts, uh, which is score one glory if none of your fighters died this round. Because um, it became really useful in stalemates in Shadespire, because it was mm-hmm. actually quite easy to only have one fighter in range that wouldn't die by like change of t- um, by Quick Thinker, so they would charge and move away, or Rebound, or Last Chance. So it was actually really difficult um, the way you deploy boards that you could just have no fighters die. Or if you're on the kill and wiped out your opponent, you would score that one glory. But now it's just too difficult to score. Um, so I think the probably one is that there are always more, just because it brings back a friendly Skaven that's out of action that isn't Crick or uh, Spike uh, Scritch. And it chooses them, so it brings them back and then inspires them. Uh, and it just gives you that extra freedom where all of a sudden your opponent goes, I've killed that clan rat, and then you go, cool. You bring them back in your next activation, move them onto an objective, so you've lost a glory, but now you've effectively teleported them across the board for minimum one glory, which can be good and bad. But it's also great for getting like surprise supports, like when you need a fighter dead and you want them fully dead. You can use um, there are always more to bring that fire back onto a starting hex that could trap your opponent that you want to kill or get more supports. So those are, I think, my five. Oh, no. And then honorable mention has to go to Sneaky Stab Stab uh, because it's basically for Scritch. Right. Uh, but it lets you attack, push yourself before you attack. So once Scritch is in range of an entire warband, uh, and generally you only want to be in range of two fighters because your dream scenario is push, kill that fighter, now in range of the next one. If they push you back one hex, you can push yourself back in and attack. So I've done multiple things where he spent three rounds pushing himself and attacking. My opponents ran away, then I've chased them down because I'm movement five. Um, but that the issue why that's not my top five is just it's entirely built around Scritch, um, and it doesn't give you it's very situational and requires a lot of positioning output. While those other five cards are generally more useful. Right, and he's your favorite. Yes, yes. Oh yes, of course, indeed. Good, good. Sounds like a good spread of faction cards there with a lot of utility. Uh, moving over to universal, you know, cards uh, specifically objective cards. What kind of universal objective cards is this warband looking for? Now these can be general. Um, or you could list specific beast grave examples as well, but uh, you know what do they what do they want? Well, the best like if you're talking all cards, I'll start with the ones in Shadespire because those are the ones that they miss the most. So you have change of tactics, which is after you're on guard then charge. Um, so that was really easy for them because you could outrange everyone because generally people go I move away and they go that's fine I move five. You could either couldn't get them and they would go on guard and get you or you try and move away and then they catch you down anyway. So that was a really reliable surge one glory. 
uh, precisely to the force because technically Scritch does three, Crick does two, and the others do one. So depending on how you attacked, you could attack with Crick, knock someone down to two wounds, attack with Scritch to kill him, then inspire Scritch to go to three damage and inspired. Um, they also miss advancing strike because that was just a really good aggro objective. Um, cover ground is debatable. I never ran it um, because you need card investment to get there, and I didn't need to invest in the mobility. Uh, as of Beastgrave, I would say they re or they also missed a, a illusory fighter, which is choose a fighter and place them on any friendly starting hex, because um, basically you could do things like charge scritching deep all the way. And then teleport him back to your opponent's side. So you're, I've killed your leader. I've got victorious duel, which is kill your enemy leader. Um, and precise use of force and scritch is the greatest. So I've just got uh, four glory from that kill. Oh no, five glory, sorry, from that kill. And now you can't kill scritch. And he's completely safe. Um, victorious duel is still really good for them. Um, the issue is trying to get scritch to four damage at the moment is not reliable. And if you mm-hmm. kit him out to be more aggro focused, you once again hit your hold objective side. Um, but I think they really love Swift Capture because that is so easy for them. I like combining Swift Capture with Shifting Reflections um, because you get to inspire a Skaven while doing it. Uh, but it, it's just that gives you total board control because that Swift Capture is control uh, an objective hex in each player's territory for one Surge Glory. <clears throat> then you've got Temporary Victory, which is uh, two Surge for holding three objectives, which they can do quite well. Mm-hmm. Um what else? Uh, you've got Gathered Momentum, which is very easy because make a charge action where you move five or more hexes away from your previous location, and they can just do that without needing to inspire. Uh, calculated Risk, because they don't care if they run through lethal hexes. Um, they really love Confusion, and well as their own version of Confusion, because their faction version Confusion, you choose a friendly fighter, and then you switch places with another adjacent fighter. So the issue is, you only choose yourself, you can't choose opponent's fighters, but you inspire right. yourself. So in the mirror, you don't inspire opponent. Um, but they really love confusion as well, just because um, you can set up with Scritch to like get opponents to trap themselves. Uh, and they just can really manipulate the power of confusion. Because also, if Crick and Scritch are next to each other, for one card, you inspire two fighters, which no card in the game does. Mm-hmm. So that's really good. Obviously, they love great strength. Um I would probably always put in Glory Seeker. I would prefer Sting of the Urgrub, but the issue with Glory Seeker is uh, it works on range, any range. Um, and Sting of the Urgrub only works on range one, so it's useless to scritch. Uh, they do love... I, I'm, I'm a bit torn on this, but I do actually think running Crown of Avarice and Expendable is a good thing. But generally, I would probably only run one because I don't like going too greedy into it. But it's especially if you kit them outright onto objectives, you can punish your opponent for trying to kill you. Uh, but generally, this is kind of offset with Tome of Offerings and Trophy Belt. Um, so it's not as punishing as it was back in Night Vault. Because uh, well, Night Vault, you had Tome of Offerings, but a lot of Beastgrave warbands can double down on Tome of, Trophy Belt and Tome of Offerings, which kind of is the problem in itself for them to deal with. Um, but they love Coveted Spoils, Uncontested as well, because they already have their own faction distraction. So uncontested is you control two or more objectives while your opponent controls none. So it's fairly easy for them to keep the opponent off objectives while you control minimum two. Uh, Path to victory, because it's control two for kill one fighter. Uh, Believably, oh yeah, supremacy, obviously, because it's really easy for them. Uh, And you could even argue the tactical supremacy is one to four and two to five, just because they're numbers people don't really see and generally forget about. 
So it's just that's more when you're just trying to outplay your opponent by trying to confuse them. Because if, especially if you haven't scored temporary victory yet, they'll go, oh, you scored temporary victory in swift capture and they'll completely forget that you're trying to go actually go for te- at, um, controlling objectives two and five or one and four. So it's just right. those nice surprises. Uh, and then I would always recommend taking Fated Blade just because uh, I know people prefer level Lance, but you need, because they can actually have a lot of really good surges, they can score quickly. Mm-hmm. Fated Blade is what makes the most out of them because you can res- resurrect and attack again. So you could potentially get two attacks from the same fighter. And even though it's variable damage, it's on average two or three damage. And with lethal hexes everywhere, it's actually very good for them. Uh, and it's just that important early tempo that they can get from it. Um, and then if you're going more into Scritch, uh, I do recommend Tome of Offerings, but you have to be fully in mind that that is just for Scritch. And once Scritch is dead, you've got basically a dead objective, a dead upgrade. Right. Right. Um, Less dead then, than most, though, because you can always just give it to somebody with Faded Blade. Of yeah, course, comes yeah. to worse. Um, but the issue is that de- you have to realize the damage is coming from either Scritch with Great Strength or Glory Seeker. Then you've potentially got Crick with an upgrade, and then the Clan Rat with Fated Blade. So you just have to realize your damage is way more restrictive compared to how it was in Shade Spire. Because mm-hmm. you can still run Pit Trap, but Pit Trap is quite blockable in terms of reactions. Because um, in my old Shade Spire deck, Scritch had Great Strength, Incredible Strength, so two ways to go to damage four, Trap, and then I had Shade Glass Dagger and Shade Glass Hammer. So I had two damage-free weapons that could potentially do four damage. Right. And you had Twist the Knife. Oh, no, I didn't run Twist the Knife because uh, Scritch couldn't use it. That's so right, I, that's I, right. I only ran cards that Scritch could make a use of. Makes a lot of sense. So it looks like and sounds like while you are very capable of running a Scritch-oriented build, um, while it was more successful in the past, currently you're more focused on um, either building more aggressively holistically or focusing on capturing objectives. Is that correct? Yeah, because I find in Beast Grave especially, it's really, you can't hide, so it's really easy to get one fighter. You may not be able to get all your in warband in range fairly on, but if you wanted to kill one fighter, generally you can do that quite easily in Beast Grave. So the issue with Scritch is he's not as reliable, uh, well, he's not as survivable as he used to be, and the problem is if you build him to be more survivable, the issue is your opponent will go in a best of three, is like, okay, I'll just kill him and then you lose all your support whereas if you make your deck overall like yeah more holistic with no central focus it's really difficult for your opponent to disrupt because i I think their best one of the best objectives for them as well is bold conquest because you just have to have your leader charge onto uh, an objective and scritch can do that easily because he's movement five with range two so you can almost suicide scritch in um to get you easy kills and easy glory right yeah, I mean, it's still an effective strategy to this day, I think. Yeah, so. just because he's so broken. Like, he would be more balanced <laughs> if he was two damage with cleave is the free damage that potentially does cleave. It, it's literally that free, free damage that breaks him because he's so fast. Because right. if you compare him to, like, Scathe, Scathe um, has more range than him technically, but his spear is one use, two, two use if you give him an upgrade or, like, uh, one of his special faction gambits. But generally, his range is immense, but his damage is capped at about two. So you can see the progression from what they've learned from Scritch in general. Right. I mean, I think Shadespire in general had was more leader-centric uh, yeah, in terms of yeah. their abilities, strengths. And, I mean, you know, there was a whole expansion dedicated to them. So, uh, you know, we've definitely seen a 
dissemination of those abilities across the warband rather than focusing them on one fighter. Yeah. Uh, aside from you know Hawthorne and Malog. Yeah. So, uh, cool. What are what are some of their preferred matchups? This can be general or um, in this can be specific uh, in terms of Beast Grave. Uh, in general, they really actually do like going into uh, Grashrax the spoilers, just because um, if you can kill Draknar early, it's a lot less pressurizing. But then you have to keep in mind any hunter could easily kill Scritch by doing two damage or one damage into a lethal hex, then playing snare and pit trap. So it's a really knife edge kind of game, but it's a better game than um, Scaife's Wild Hunt because everyone can basically kill Scritch potentially, except uh, Lycaon. Um, right, RIP. Yes. Um, <laughs> they enjoy the Godsworn Hunt, uh, but that's just because it's it's more tempo-based. So if they can get going faster than the Godsworn Hunt, then it's then they can do better. Um, I th- I'm not sure how they deal against um the worms back because that's a weird thing it depends on the build because uh, the issue is if the Hrothgorn I mean if the worms back have gone for a general build they can actually kind of plink them apart to the point where they just die too quickly uh, I actually think they do quite well into Hrothgorn's man trappers just because with Scritch you can actually get him into a position where he can kill Hrothgorn in one attack with great strength and pushing him into a lethal hex because um, like if you can get enough damage onto Hrothgorn by poking him with someone else. Generally, you can kill him, or you can have Scritch slaughter the entire warband. And that, at that point, once Hrothgorn has bled, uh, bled at least four glory from just his fighters and lost all his tools, it actually becomes quite tough for Hrothgorn, um, considering with the objective objective disruption, the Skaven have the ability just to go anywhere, and that mo- they have better mobility and threat range. Mm-hmm. Um, what else? Zarbags gets... But you have to be wary of the fanatic because he completely gets uh, gets past their defenses, so he doesn't care how many dodge you've got. Um, what else? So yeah, there's not many favorable matchups anymore because they've lost so much damage. Because before, when they could easily do four damage, the only bad matchup was Magor's fiends and Garrick's reavers. Because Magor's fiends was basically if they won boards, you were in for a tough time. But if you won boards, you could keep away and starve them. Uh, but then Garrick's Reavers basically did the same thing. And if you killed them in the wrong order, they would inspire and destroy you. Uh, but now, because everyone's so fast, generally they don't have too many good matchups. They just capitalize on slow warbands. But the issue is when someone's movement four and you movement five, that's not enough for them to capitalize off of. Um, so that's why they've suffered a bit. So they might do a bit better um, against movement three warbands. But then you have stuff like the Curse Breakers who can just zap them. But that, once again, that's a really swinging matchup. If you kill Stormsire first um, and you're in a position where Amis is not going to immediately kill Scritch as well, uh, then you can kind of win it. But that's still more of an even matchup. I think the important thing to stress is they have a lot of even matchups, which is good, but they don't have... Like, I look at matchups in a, like a out of 10 scenario. So they have a lot of 5-5 matchups, which are very easy, which are very even, sorry. Um, but they don't have many that are greater than five. Like Grashrax to spoilers, I'd say is like a seven, three or six, four. Um, like Sepulchral Guards is more like a seven, three, just because Squitch can just plow through them. But that's like the kind of disparity. I'd say like they're five, five um, against the Worm Spat. It just really depends on your opponent's build. Um, but yeah, they don't have, the only really bad matchups with them, I'd say is definitely Scaife's World Hunt 
and even now Magor's Fiends, just because they've lost a lot of defensive tools to deal with really hard, strong aggro from the get-go. Right. Okay. And and so that kind of leads into the weaknesses, aside from strong, hard aggro. What else are we are we looking at? Well, it's just uh, any reliable ranged fighter warband. So they really suffer, suffer against Thundrix Profiteers, just because uh, Thundrix Profiteers generally have the same or just a bit less threat range than um, them because they're all movement two with a range of three, so threat range of five. When they inspire, they go to movement three with range of three. Um, you've got Draxkewer, who is movement four, range two, slash range three. And basically, they can threaten and wipe the entire warband while just standing there. Um, so you have to be really mind of, uh, keep in mind of fast fighters, fighters that can pump out a lot of damage at range, whether that be due to ranged attacks or power cards. So like the Worms that do this a lot, as well as Curse Breakers. What about Fast Riders? Uh, fast Riders as well, especially. But the issue with Fast Riders, you don't see them too much anymore because they're difficult to run as well because they've lost a lot of Universal cards. Because um, they're once again, they're a Shades by a Warband that relies on Universal cards. So when the pool is reduced, they're not as great. But it's still, at the moment, it's like a 5-5 five, five matchup still. Um, it's it's like, it's borderline 6-4 to the Fast Riders but it's, it's still too even to say just because both of them have been hit by the card pool choices. Mm-hmm. Okay. That makes a lot of sense. So let's move on then. Um, when, you know, playing the game and, you know, what's your preferred, set, preferred board setup and how does your deployment strategy change based on those matchups? Um, so generally, I actually like placing boards second because I'm not too concerned about having two objectives. Uh, it's if you can control the boards and set them diagonal. Like I usually place the Shayashi and Star Dial uh, because it's got three block texts mm-hmm. and it gives you only one fighter that your opponent can generally take, uh, get in range of, which is Lurking Skaven. And if you get to go first or your opponent for some reason gives you the first activation, you can move back and away onto your own objective and completely be out of the range of your opponent's charges. Um, I think... Even lethal hex centric boards um, like the Schmolten Shard Pit and like the Shrine of the Silent People, which is um, the Beast Grave boards. You like mm-hmm. boards with block hexes and lethal hexes because you have the movement to move around them or move through them. Uh, you can punish them more, and block hexes aren't too effective against you while you can still use them to defend yourself against ranged attackers. Like um, the Soul Refractor is like essential against ranged warbands like Thundrix Profiteers. Uh, fast riders and even storm size curse breakers but that's that's what i'd pretty much say on boards if you're going aggro then you generally want to be close to the opponent or boards that give you more space because you can capitalize on that space whereas your opponent generally can't unless they're using uh, newer wall bands right because of their high movement yeah very because cool. there was a thing in shade spire where everyone played great concussion so great concussion was choose a point and you push everyone away from that point one hex. Mm-hmm. So the greatest thing about because everyone was generally movement free, I would be three hexes away from someone and pop it in my before my opponent's activation. So now they would be five hexes apart and they couldn't get to me. So this was great if they were on guard and I just stopped them scoring change of tactics, or like they were buffing a character who's now out of range and then now they move out of range and then I don't move. So now they've moved their own character out of range for the entire game. Um, but it's less less punishable now unless you're running free distractions with distraction. Which you can. Yep, distraction, nightmare in the shadow, and 
um, their one, which is Skittering in the Darkness or something, uh, Scratching in the Shadows. Um, but the issue is that's free cards to push out your opponent, and it's it's more useful towards the end of the game. It's just the issue they have five fighters, so they will bleed glory, unfortunately, but that's uh important downside they need. Right. It helps them with their balancedness. That makes sense. Yeah. Cool. Um, so if someone is listening to this episode and they say, well, you know, I really like the way John used to play them. I wonder how I can emulate that strategy or find new strategies in current Beast Grave. What are some like top tips or like preferred advice you would give someone uh, when playing this warband for the first time or revisiting the warband in a long time? Well, it's like I'll, I've written up a deck people can use because uh, it's the deck I would run if I still play them. Because the, the reason I don't play Spike Claw Swarm anymore is because I played them for about nine months, won two Grand Clashes with them, uh, and won too many trophies with them. So I'd basically done everything I wanted to do with them. Right. Uh, so I enjoy playing them with Warhammer Underworlds Online. Um, but it's kind of... Um, I've played them so much, there's nothing else left for me to do with them. Um, but generally, especially if you're coming back from Shadespire, you have to keep in mind they don't work the same in terms of if you're running them like, I'll put everything on Scritch and run in. You can do that, it's just not consistent because it's really easy to kill one fighter. You may not be able to wipe out your opponent, but you can always get that guaranteed kill. That's what I generally find in um, Underworlds at the moment. Uh, you just have to focus more on their ability to bring back fighters on any starting hex, um, the ability to cover any ground really well, so you can go onto any objective you want uh, and still control the ranges and threat. Um, generally, I find people pump out more dice, so you want to inspire quite quickly. So I'd always recommend taking like confusion and two steps forward, just because you can inspire inspire four Skaven with four with two cards. Because right. um, as you remember, you don't need to inspire Lurking Skaven because all he gets is an extra dice for attacking with, which can be supplemented with a upgrade. Because um, ideally, you always want to be two dodge from as soon as possible, but don't always fixate on inspiring. Um, but just remember, you have that uh, choice too, and always use Scritch as bait. Basically, you want to make your opponent go even in a position where, damn, Scritch can hit me, or and I can't hit him, or I want to hit Scritch, but I can't get to him because he keeps resurrecting all these fighters, uh, and he's just been too much of a force multiplier. So you ha- you have to use Scritch more as he was intended now, which is more defensive, but you have to remember you can go on the push with him. Like, even in your bad matchups, once they've killed your clan rats and say they haven't somehow killed Scritch, you can then use Scritch to snipe charge fighters and mop up everyone else, but it's just not something you can rely on like you used to. Um, like I'll post, I'll give the deck to Amon so we can post in the description. Mm-hmm. Um, but objectives are basically Scritch is the greatest, yes, yes. Calculated risk, fired up, great gains, um, opening gambit, coveted spoils, gathered momentum, path to victory, supremacy, swift capture, temporary victory, and bold conquest. Uh, you could drop great gains and opening gambit for tactical supremacies one to four and two to five, but I just wanted to be more flexible. Um, because you've already got those high-scoring objectives anyway. And it's not something you're designed to score all the objectives, but you can still score like 11 or, or 10. So like you've got um, coveted spoils, um, which you don't really need, but you could swap out something for uncontested as well. Uh, but bold conquest, swift capture, uh, calculated risk, and fired up are really, really guaranteed objectives for them. 
because gamut momentum doesn't need any card investment. Uh, calculated risk you can score very easily. Bold conquest is just involving scritch because he has the mobility and range. And then temporary victory is quite doable with your push cards. Then for gambits, you've got Musk of Fear, Nervous Scrabbling, Scratching in the Shadows. There are always more. Mirror Move, Shifting Reflection, Two Steps Forward, Confusion, Restless Prize, and Sidestep. So an important thing when you're building a Skaven deck is to keep in mind how many ploys actually inspire Scritch. So with this build, I've got one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight cards um, that inspire Scritch. Wow. Uh, no, sorry. Yeah, eight cards. And the other ones that can't are Restless Prize, and there are always more. Oh, no, seven, sorry. Restless Prize, Scratching in the Shadows, because that's choosing an enemy fighter. Because um, the key thing you have to remember with There are Always More is you can only play if someone's dead and you can't target Scritch. So if you have that only in hand, that's the kind of downside you have to keep in mind. Um, and then for upgrades, you've got Expendable, Crown of Avarice, um, I put in Duelist Speed just because it's more universal. But if you put if you're more skitch centric, you can be sneaky stab stab. Then Fated Blade, Glory Seeker, Quickening Greaves, Spectral Armor, Cryptic Companion, Great Strength, and Survival Instincts. So you still have the option to tank up Scritch, but you can also make your clan rats more reliable to hold objectives. Um, and the great thing is you can stick someone with <clears throat> Cryptic Companion, and even if they kill that clan rat, you can bring them back on a different objective hex and still have them alive. Um, but that's generally how I would build them. You can also go more heavily into hold objectives like dug in. Um, but I, I like that freedom the Skaven offer. So that's why I've gone more aggro focused with the hold objectives. I mean, with the upgrades, because you look at the objective deck and realize it's quite hold objective. So your opponent will go in. Or he hasn't got, he's got much, he'll just have defensive stuff. So when you start pumping out all this damage, generally it'll catch them by surprise because you shouldn't really be able to do two uh, aggro and hold objective quite reliably but you want to draw your opponent in and then just punish them for getting close to you right so essentially you're you're still playing a flex deck in a way because you're 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 an objective based strategy but you're flexing into that aggressive threat that yeah. uh, scritch can innately put out yeah so you can still sit back and resurrect fighters uh, but you like because skaven used to be amazing at doing control but they can't really do that anymore just because they lost the universal cards that they relied on to do that. Because mm -hmm. um, my build had Rebound, Last Chance, uh, and Quick Thinker, because Quick Thinker would deny a charge. And then you had Rebound, which doesn't need any explaining, and then Last Chance, which was basically a 66% chance to ignore combat. Um so now they can't rely on those cards. They can't really do control too well anymore. So you need a reason for your opponent. Well, you need to capitalize on your ability, your movement for those hold objectives. Um, and they can easily capture everything they want, uh, which just because there's no warband that's base movement five. You have the Grimwatch that go to movement five inspired uh, and even some of Scales, Scales Wild Hunt go to movement five inspired. But no one, no warband so far is movement five base. And that's something you really need to capitalize on. Absolutely. That makes perfect sense. Um, so I definitely will have the deck in the show notes. So would love to um, see the, the list in full and then hopefully someone can try it and provide feedback here. But sounds like it's uh, pretty promising and it, it's probably one of the most optimal ways to play them in the current iteration of the game. Yeah, because I think the, the main issue at the moment, you have a lot of people teching into one build too much, like either hold objectives 
Agro have to, unfortunately, because that's the only cards they can tech into or even control. Uh, so flex is more rewarding, but it's more difficult to pull off. So if you can, because before everyone could basically do three types of flex. So you could always play with control, hold objectives to an extent and aggro. But now you can basically only do two with most warbands. Um, so I think Scritches, Bikelord Swarm do best at hold objective with aggro support instead of being the aggro monsters that they were in Shadespire. That makes a lot of sense. Okay. Well, that concludes the segment where we're talking about Spike Claw Swarm. John, thank you for your insight there. That's It's been pretty helpful, and as someone who's probably had the most success with the Warband ever in the game, um, I'm sure that our listeners uh, have learned a lot and uh, look forward to trying the deck you've suggested. Oh, no, thanks. I always love talking about Spike Claw Swarm. It's just I don't have much time anymore to talk about them just because I haven't played them in a long time. Um, but that's partly just because yeah I've done pretty much everything I could with them because um, it's it's like something you just get not bored of you just go like I've d- I've done my bit but they they're for me they're the archetypal underworld's warband and you look at them and you go oh I should just they're weak they're weedy because the funny thing is when they came out with the chosen axes me and my friends were like oh we're gonna love the chosen axes they're amazing and then we played them and we're like actually I prefer the mobility um, that spike claw swarm offers. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's a key thing to look out for I think it's like you, you have people doing like the meme hold objective magors but Spike Claw Swarm are one of those warbands that depending on the card pool can almost do anything yeah that's what it sounds like I mean you know Jonathan's a big fan of them as well and, and he always comes back to them uh, eventually because I think he really just likes their their flexible nature and the speed is, is as you mentioned fantastic yeah, I would actually say they're a really good learning warband because they inspire really easily and they help you learn how to trap opponents more because Scritch is innately range too. You can get opponents in positions where they wouldn't realize they're trapped. So like a common thing I like to do is confusion and then sneaky stab stab. So I would put like Scritch in a corner. They would like hidden paths there or charge into him, do some damage or miss. And then I would confuse so now they're in the corner and then they'll go, okay, I'll sidestep away. So they're to the right, and then I would use Sneaky Stab Stab to move back. So they wasted their sidestep because they're still trapped no matter where they went. Um, and like they just forget about Sneaky Stab Stab. But playing with Spike Claw Swarm really helps you recognize how to learn ranges, how to punish opponents by trapping them, and just get better with where you place fighters and where you move them. Because now you're not relying on like spectral wings or distractions to get fighters where they need to go. Yeah, sure. That makes absolute sense. And again, I hope uh, I look forward to hearing feedback on on the warband and the deck in particular. I, I I hope a lot of people revisit the warband. Yeah, it's it's still like I've seen a lot of meme builds. Like, well, meme builds, and they've gone like specific like making the clan rats the focus, which is arguably what you can do. But you want something. I always prefer like holistic decks where there's no key fighter, just because it really punishes your opponent and also when everyone goes, I'll just kill Scritch, but when your deck still works, that's the important thing, because usually people overcommit to kill Scritch, and that's the great thing. So once they've overcommitted, that fighter's either in a bad position or they've used all their cards, so now they actually can't deal with the rest of your warband. Mm-hmm. That makes sense. Okay. Well, John, thank you again for talking about uh, those specific uh, warband questions and, and especially detailing your insight into Spiteless Swarm. We're going to move over now to the rapid-fire questions. Oh, cool. um, so this is a set of questions that are designed to, uh, you know, be thrown at you quick, 
uh, first answer that comes to your mind, shoot it back our way. Um, and, and it's more of a fun segment um, just so that, you know, we can have a little bit of fun uh, and our listeners can maybe enjoy, uh, you know, some of the more insights from you. So a total of eight questions. Cool. So uh, whenever you're ready, yeah, you can let's get it fire going. away. Let's go. All righty. First question, which I think I know the answer. Who is your favorite fighter in the game? Yeah, Squid Spike Law. It was, it was really difficult, but I managed to pick one. <laughs> awesome. So who is your? what's your favorite warband to play? Uh, and this could be over all three seasons. And what does that say about you as a person? Uh, it's still Spike Claw Swarm, uh, even now. Uh, the the thing I actually really liked when I played Lady Howe's Mournflight in the January Grand Clash, it was, like, it was like playing my Skaven again, because I could literally go anywhere on the board. Um, so it really highlighted to me how important movement and positioning is to me. Because um, generally when I build decks, I have to invest a lot into moving the fighters. So when I have to do that very minimally, I can find I can focus on more other things. Okay, makes a lot of sense. Um, if you could bring any card from Season 1 back to Championship format, what would it be? And why? <laughs> I get a lot of hate for this, but um, I can't believe I forgot it. Uh, time Trap, easily, 100%. Time Trap. It was the most... I loved it as a card until it got broken uh, by the change in mechanics. So basically, before your last activation, you can play Time Trap and immediately have your activation, but skip your next activation. Um, so it effectively allowed you to go, I go, you go, I go, I go, you go. So instead of, uh, it just really messed up your opponent and confused them. So the issue is you could charge with Scritch and then use Time Trap to attack again. Obviously, it got broken with Night Vault because then um, it went token-based. So um, you could charge and then charge again. So Scritch all of a sudden went from seven hexes one way to the other side of the board. Um, but it was just really good because like when people start buffing up their fighters, you can go like I'm playing like uh, giving it like Potion of Rage, Great Strength, all these. And then you go, cool, that's in your next activation. I'll play Time Trap now, kill him. Uh, and now your buff character's gone. And they'll go like, oh, I, I've got these dice mods for Targor who has no weapons. You go, yep. You'll go. Uh, it's incredibly broken in the current wording, but I would love if they could bring back Time Trap. It's the best card. Right. I, I imagine you will get some hate for that. <laughs> well, yeah, because um, people didn't really like Time Trap, and then everyone used it because you could charge twice. Yes. Yes. I remember those days. There was they were fun while they lasted. I will yes. admit. Yeah. Um. So, is there a model you've loved painting, or a model that you have yet to paint that you can't wait to? Uh, I think it's, once again, it's either Scritch Spike Claw, because I converted him to have a Warpstone Spear instead mm -hmm. of a Halberd. I've seen um, it, it looks cool. Unfortunately, it broke and disappeared, the spear, so he's just got a stick now, so he just Ooh. swacks people. But I actually really enjoyed play uh, painting my Skink version of Scritch. Um, so he's like, because I couldn't, I got, s I was playing them so much, and I didn't want to paint any other Warband, that I just converted um, Scritch's uh, Spike Claw Swarm out of Skinks. And then after I did that, I started winning Grand Clashes. So obviously the, the goal is to convert your own warbands and all of a sudden they'll win you tournaments and Grand Clashes. Right. Uh, but I really enjoyed painting him because I used a lot of blending with my airbrush and like a lot of fine edge highlights. And it was quite a complex conversion. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I've seen them. They look really neat. I, uh, I'm actually now terrified what will happen when, you, when an actual Seraphon warband enters the game. Oh, it would be, it's like fate. I, I've marked it since Shadespire, so i am technically been waiting a long time. That's that's very true. Okay. Um, so switching gears a little bit, who is your least favorite fighter in the game and why, if there is a reason? 
Oh, there's there actually so many. I think it's just Molog, just because uh, he got broken to the point where he's just not fun to play against. And I hate, uh, I got into a position where I just hated using him. So I just hate fighters that force a scenario where they're unfun to play against for your opponent and then become unfun for you to use because now your opponent just goes, oh, it's Molog. Just because he affects the game so much and warps it around him. Mm-hmm. I'd say he's my most disliked fighter just because I thought I'd love him. And then I played and then I was like, I can't, can't play him anymore. It's just, it's just, it was just really depressing because he either smashes your opponents or fails and becomes useless. Right. But when he, when he crushes your opponent, he literally crushes their soul. So <laughs> he does, he does. You will, you will find no love for Malag on this podcast. So um, you are so in welcome hate. company. That's good. Um, okay. So in the future, is there a particular warband you'd like to see? This can be mechanic, style. Even models or, or, or number of fighters, anything really. But what is it that you would like to see in the realm of the Underworlds? Uh, well, I'm a big Slash fan because I have a Slash army for Age of Sigmar. Um, mm-hmm. So uh, I'd love a Slash warband of any kind. Um, also Seraphon, but mainly Slash because I think, um, especially considering what they did with the current Slash range, which were all demons, mm-hmm. it'd be interesting to see how they approach that um if they still because we at the moment we haven't really had a demon chaos warband i mean um magor's fiends have riptooth which is a flesh hound but that's just one model and eyes of nine have one demon so it'd be like cool to see how they could do like maybe a demon warband or something like that but i just love seeing more slanesh stuff so anything slanesh for me mainly yeah uh, again a big fan of slanesh here as well so welcome company once more and i think it'd be really neat to see uh Sinash. Well, yeah, because um, I've always found like the Chaos Warbands generally are quite thematic of um their patron. Uh Eyes of the Nine are kind of there, but they just need some help. That's right. That's right. They we have a lot of thoughts on Eyes of the Nine, but we'll keep going forward. Yep. So um if you could change one thing about the current warband, so Spike Claw Swarm yeah. or a card, what would it be and why? So this is a weird one. I would change expendable to make it clearer for use uh i wouldn't buff anything because i think well there were two things i would change all spike claws swarms uh gambit cards that choose a fighter but don't choose them to just say choose a fighter because you have this weird thing in terms of wording where you have gambits that choose fighters without telling you that they choose them so they don't inspire so you don't run them uh but i would mainly just tighten up expendable just to make it clear i would like to see it follow the attack step just so people could uh because i like that clearness in the game without needing all these faqs because it is quite an old card and it works weirdly because it removes a fight instead of taking them out of action and that's what causes the most confusion um so i just changed that to update the wording yeah okay that makes a lot of sense and is a card that has uh, had confusion surrounding it so it makes perfect sense there my last question for rapid fire and it may not necessarily be a rapid question rather but uh more of a plug really uh, where can people find you if they want to hear more about you? You know, we alluded to some of your content you create, but I guess this is your moment to uh, to plug it in. Cool. Yeah, because this actually might take a while now, but I've got my blog, <laughs> canyourollercrit.com. Uh, I'm on Twitter as canyourollercrit. I have a Facebook page, which is canyourollercrit, which you can find on Facebook. Uh, and then on Podbean, you can find me by just searching canyourollercrit or searching Critcast, and then you'll find either me or my podcast page um but that's all my social media for now it's usually collated like if you go on my blog if you go down to the bottom it'll have everything linked there 
Um, but that's pretty much where you can reach me. And if you want to message me anytime, like I always get a lot of messages anyway, but I'm always happy to help people if they need help with the game or anything. So feel free to drop me a message on uh, Facebook or Twitter because that's where I get a lot of my messages from. Or even on my blog if you want to. Um, but yeah, feel free to message me if you have a question. Awesome. Yeah, that's uh, loads of content there. But um, some of the oldest and most reliable. Uh, certainly, Can You Roll a Crit was something that I avidly read uh, and still do to this day uh, and was inspiration for my own, my own blog. So definitely worth the read if you haven't seen it, which I'd be surprised if you hadn't by this point. No, yeah, I think it's the, the good thing now is there are a lot of blogs. So there's a lot of content for people to read. Like yours is really good as well. Because um, the issue is, I think, I'm the last of the old guards, I'd say, because um, you had Catafrain Relic from Jamie, who was about two weeks older than my blog, but he's um, stopped posting. And then you had like a few older ones that have just disappeared. Uh, but it's yeah. good to see that there's a healthy like content creation, like, not just from blogs, where you've got Steel City Underworlds, um, your Path to, uh, Path to Glory, uh, your Hexes and Warbands, and even like you've got YouTube and podcasters like um, the Battlecast uh, for YouTube. Um, there's so many other podcasters, I can't remember them now. Uh, Was it Hexes? Oh, What the Hex? What the uh, Hex, Battle for Salvation, Battle Mallet. And you got Ready for Action as well. There's so much Ready choice. Action, so you, you, right. uh, if you're new to Underworlds as content creation, there's tons for you to listen to on whatever platform you want. Absolutely. That's one of the best parts about the community. It's it's always growing. Um, it's always expanding. And generally, we're, we're a bunch of nice folks. So um, Yeah. Just, yeah, everyone's pretty friendly. You get the few odd interactions online, but that's kind of inevitable online. Uh, yeah. My biggest thing about Underworlds is the community is the greatest. So if you ever go in person to an event, you will have usually the best time ever because everyone is just so friendly and helpful. Yes, yes. Well, thank you so much, John, again. It was a pleasure having you on. It's a pleasure being on. Thanks for having me on. Of course. All right, everyone, that's it for this episode. If you have any feedback, questions, or comments, let us know on Facebook at Path to Glory Podcast. You can also follow us on Twitter at Path to Glory Podcast. Uh, you can find us on Podbean, where you'll find the show notes for this episode as well. You can please rate us on iTunes. That would be great. Thanks for listening, and we wish you the best of luck on your Path to Glory. Yes, yes.